what I want to do is I want to talk about the second coming of Jesus. That line in the song that we believe that he's coming back again. We really believe that. The second coming of Jesus. And because I'm uh, ending this series a little bit shorter than I thought. I thought it was going to take seven uh, episodes, but I'm going to end it today. What I'm going to do is kind of change my presentation format just a little bit. And I kind of want to teach a little bit today. Is that okay? So I, I kind of want to teach this. I want to let the Bible um, speak for itself. I kind of want this to almost be like a glorified Bible study, but in a way um, that we can have some preaching time uh, in the end if the, if, the, if the Lord so moves. But I kind of want to just present this in a little bit of a different format. And for those who are, are new to this church, um, I just want you to know that you don't have to be intimidated uh, by anything, about maybe not understanding or maybe about knowing some of the Bible texts that we're referencing. We're going to put them on the screen. And, if, and what I even want to do today that maybe take a little bit of extra time for my message is I want to actually leave it open if you have a question. I'm going to give you the opportunity to engage. If any point in any scripture that I'm talking about, and you're like, you know what, Pastor, I just don't get that. I'm just, can you, can you say that again? Can you explain that? Don't be afraid. Just lift up your hand, and we will pause for you. How's that sound? Is that kind of, is that a little different in church? That's okay. It's okay, because the point is, we really want to solidify this. And look, personally, I believe some of these things I've learned in this series need to really be taught in a smaller group. It needs to kind of be taught in an intimate setting. I can't preach everything. So I'm looking forward to some time uh, next year where we can really dive into some of these things. But if any point of this, of this message today, you have a question, you have something you just don't get or you want me to repeat, just don't feel ashamed. Raise your hand. So let's start off with Revelation 19. Revelation 19. We're going to start off with that scripture, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 15. And I like to use the NLT version. So if you have your app or your Bible, whatever you have, this might be a good time to open it up. And if you're a note taker or something like that, to take some notes. I want to start with Revelation 19, verses 11 through 15. It says, then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages righteous war. For those who are a little unfamiliar with the Bible, um, as you see words like this that are in this context that are capitalized, usually that has, that's a name. So this is suggesting a name of someone, Faithful and True. Let's go to the next verse. His eyes were like flaming fire, flames of fire. And on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. Forgive me. Let me just pause one more time in my sermon to say, for those who need to translate, please feel free to translate. If those who uh, need to, this to be translated in your native language, Please feel free to translate. You will not be interrupting me or anybody else, okay? So try to slow it down a little bit so you are more than welcome to translate. Okay. Let's go. Keep going. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. Is that to kind of give us a clue who we're talking about here? Talking about Jesus. The armies of heaven 
dressed in the finest, the armies of heaven. Oh, let me go back. Slow down a little bit. He wore a robe dipped in blood. I want you to visualize this. This is Jesus on a white horse and a robe dipped in blood. Okay? The armies of heaven, they're coming with him. So this is Jesus in a more military presentation. This is Jesus coming as a general. Can you see that? Dressed in the finest and purest of white linen. Followed him on white horses. So you visualize his army following him. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. Now wait a minute. What kind of Jesus is this? What happened to flowing robe Jesus? What happened to forgiving all the people Jesus? What happened to forgive them for they know not what they do? This is the Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth, striking down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. Did you see that? This is a Jesus who's releasing wrath, destruction, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. Now, I want us to stop there because I want you to see something here. In the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is really like the autobiography or Jesus' opportunity to tell his part of the story. And what we see is this book begins with the risen Savior, and it kind of goes back into history, and Jesus begins to unveil through his prophet what he wants to do and what he's already done. And so we see at, in, verse, in chapter 19 kind of the conclusion. So this, this particular uh, is, is prophetic language, is prophetic description of Christ. And what we see about him is that he is a general. He is coming with a vengeance. This is the Jesus who has originally been called the captain of the Lord's armies. Before things were created, before we were on this earth, Jesus was the captain, and he laid that down. He became the servant and our Savior. And the Bible tells us that as the period we're in now, he serves as our priest. He serves as our high priest, ministering on behalf of us. But when we get to when it's all over, when all the decisions have been made, when judgment is finalized, because remember, we saw back here in verse, verse uh, 11 that he judged fairly, right? He judged fairly, and he wages a righteous war. So he goes through the process. He says, you know what? I've judged everybody. We talked about this at a previous message that Jesus is our judge, so we have nothing to fear. The judgment has been finalized, and now he says, I'm done being the priest I'm done being the judge, and now I'm the war captain. He says, I've done all that, and now I'm coming back in beast mode. Now I'm coming back with a vengeance. Now, some of us don't really get this picture of Jesus or, or never seen this, but I want you to see this, that Jesus is a powerful captain. He is in charge of heaven, and this is describing that he's coming back with the armies of heaven. I want you to see this because this is exactly 
what the second coming of Jesus is going to be like. This is what God's coming back is going to be like. I want to say this because some of you may have been taught incorrectly that God does not have to sneak into the earth. I'm a grown man, right? I'm the man in my house. I'm not ashamed of that. My woman wants me to be the man in my house, right? Come on, say amen. So I don't have to sneak into my own house, right? I don't have to tiptoe and, and sneak in. So Jesus does not have to tiptoe into the earth. This challenges the theological understanding or the theological belief of rapture. What rapture teaches is that there is a secret rapture where God takes people who are righteous and everybody else remains on the earth. And those who teach that believe that if a pilot was a Christian, then the plane goes down. If a pilot was a train captain or a train engineer, that the, the train wrecks. And there's going to be chaos and destruction and God's going to come in and sneak and take people. Now listen, typically I do not preach and do doctrinal stuff but because of this particular series, I'm doing this. And so I, because for the reason that I wish I could unpack that and explain it, but I can't. But I just want you to know here that this challenges that narrative. That when Jesus comes back, he's coming back with a vengeance. Why is he coming back? Well, earlier in the book of Revelation, we see a, a group of sevens. There's, there's different sevens in the Bible. It starts out with seven churches, but there's seven trumpets seven bowls, and seven seals. Now, th what these things pretty much represent is a process of what happens in the last days, right before the second coming of Jesus. And so I want to take you to Revelation chapter 6, which is the end of the seven seals, okay? End of the seven seals, and this is Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Let me go back over here. Okay, Revelation chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Let me make sure I have it in both of these, so just in case something fails, you know, got to watch my back. All right, Revelation, here's what it says. As I watched, this is, six seals have been opened, and this is getting to the last seal. As I watched, the lamb, who is the lamb? Jesus is the lamb, and the Revelation, it tells us that Jesus is the only one who can open the seals. It's kind of like a, a locked case, and Jesus is the only one with the combination as I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, come. I looked up and I saw what? A white horse. Is that, is that familiar to you? We just read that in chapter 19. So we're going to chapter 6. And this is the first time that's introduced. So we know for sure this is the same rider. He, it's rider carried a bow. And a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. When the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. The rider was given a mighty sword and authority to take a piece of the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. When the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the living, the third living being say, come. And I looked up and saw the black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, a loaf of bread, wheat bread, of three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. Do not waste the olive oil and wine. 
When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, come. And I looked and saw a horse whose color was pale, green. Its rider was named Death, and its companion was the grave. These two were given authority over the, over the fourth of the earth to kill with the sword the famine and disease and wild animals. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all those who had been martyred for the word of the Lord. You know what martyred means? People who died for their faith. They had been killed standing for Jesus. Okay, where do we go here? Okay, sorry, my, my phone just messed up. All right, they shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign God, holy and true. Here's what I want us to see here. How long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done for us? Listen to the martyrs. Listen to the people who were innocent. Listen to the people who have died. People always ask, what about the innocent? This is the innocent. And they're saying, God, how long until you judge our case? How long are you going to, to, to rescue us? How long are you going to let this injustice continue? How long will we wait for you to come? They ask, how long? Then a white robe was given to each of them. And they were told to rest just a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, the fellow servants of Jesus who had been martyred, had joined them. Look at the language here. The response is, this is really an image of those who had died, right, who had been martyred, who had been killed. They're not actually speaking, but this is prophetic imagery of those who had died for Christ saying, how long do we have to rest? Right? How long we, do we have to wait? And the response here is, I'm giving you the robes. In other words, your case has been settled. You don't have to worry about it. I've got your robe waiting for you. Just rest a little bit longer until your brothers and sisters who were martyred will join them. In other words, there are more until Jesus comes who will die on behalf of heaven. So he says, wait just a little bit longer. So let me say it this way. That when Jesus returns like that, with the robe, with the, with the sword, he is responding to the cry of injustice. He is, replete, he is responding to the case of those who stood for him. Jesus is coming back to settle an issue with the enemy. He's coming back to settle an issue with the devil. He said, devil, listen, I've given you your time. You've pleaded your case. You've explained what you wanted. You have tried to argue that your way was better. And now the case is settled. Now I'm getting ready to win this game seven on the road. Now I'm getting ready to little Brian James this thing and take this thing back home. Jesus comes back as a warrior. He comes back fierce. He's coming back for blood. So that gives us hope because some of us feel like, well, in this life, like, where's my justice? Who's sticking out for me? I've always been poor. I've always been marginalized. I've always been called an immigrant. I've always been told I, wasn't, I didn't belong. I've always fell on the short side of the stick. Nobody's ever stuck up for me. Let me just tell you this way. When you're on Jesus' side, Jesus always sticks up for you. And he's coming one day to bring justice to the earth. That's why he says, look, you don't need to find personal revenge. It's not your job to go after people who hurt you. 
It's not your job to go after and right the wrongs of things that have been done wrong to you. Just follow me. Just trust me and listen to my voice. He's responding to the cry of injustice, to the cry of those who've been martyred, and he's responding to the attack of the enemy. Let me take you to Revelation 13. This gives us an image of one of the beasts, and I feel so bad for rushing through this, but I hope it just whets your appetite a little bit for another study on this. But this is one of the beasts that is represented in Revelation, and in, in, prophet, in prophecy, it actually speaks to the last beast that will basically come before the end of time. Now, these beasts, again, are prophetic. They're, they're kind of, um, they kind of symbolize mindsets and kingdoms and ideas. So let me take you to Revelation 13. I want you to read this. Hear what the beast did. Then I saw another beast out of, come out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, and he spoke like the voice of a dragon. I really wish I could dig deep into this. This will blow your mind. Think of this beast that looks like a little lamb, looks innocent, looks harmless, looks kind, but speaks like a dragon. Looks like the place of freedom, looks like a, place, a great place to have refuge, but speaks as a dragon. Looks like the home of the free, the land of the brave, a place where you can start all over, but it speaks. Ooh, I wish I could preach that. I can't. I'm going to keep going. He exercised all the authority of the first beast, and he required all the earth and the people to do what? To worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down from earth, from the sky while everyone was watching. And all he did, and with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belong to this world. This earthly power, this beastly power, had the power to deceive everybody. That's why we got to keep our eyes on Jesus, right? That's why if we don't know what we believe, we'll do what? We'll fall for anything. He ordered, that the people to, he ordered the people to make a statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded, then came back to life. When he, then he was then permitted to give life to a statue so that he could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that everyone refusing to worship must die. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on their right hand or their forehead. No one could buy or sell anything without the mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. The whole entire economy was locked into worship, was locked into an allegiance to this beast's power, the beast. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one who understands solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for its number of his man, uh, is the number of man, and his number is 666. Now, I know you've heard that before, 666. Some of you gotten into all that Illuminati stuff and all that, all that stuff. I get it. But look, the Bible's basically saying here, there's two camps. There are those who are waiting for Jesus to come. There are those who have made their decision, made their allegiance to God. And there are others who have been deceived. And because they have been deceived, whether they realize it or not, are worshiping something other than God. They are falling after the power of another movement 
That is not God's movement. They think that way. They plan that way. They talk that way. And God says there is a difference. But here is the description of those who at the end, who are following God. Look at this description here. Here are God's people. Here are the people I'm talking to in this room. This is what the Bible describes them as in Revelation 14, verse 12. This means that God's holy people must do what? Can you see it with me? Endure persecution patiently. Can I tell you that's what's wrong with the church? The church has been so quiet and so afraid of persecution that they will go along with anything. The church has lost its respect for the gospel. And what we are seeing in these last days is an increase of persecution. I want you to hear what I'm saying. You will see more attacks on churches. You will see more innocent people being killed. You will be seeing more issues where people will really want to know. Now, look, are you following Jesus or not? Because you're a church, but you're silent. You're a Christian, but you're not standing up. You're not saying anything. Here's what the description of God's people are. That we must endure persecution patiently. Yep, you may not get the job because you decide to worship on Sabbath. So what? You may not get that man because he doesn't, you don't, you know, he doesn't want to wait till you're married. So what? People may not like you for your choices. People may not like you for what you do. But it's not about being liked. It's about being loved by Jesus. And it's about responding to him with our obedience to his word. So that's how it describes it. Persecuting patiently, obeying his commands, and maintaining their faith in Jesus. You know what maintenance is, right? Anybody do maintenance? Anybody a maintenance worker? Anybody have to work on machines or trucks or stuff, okay? I know some maintenance people. Even though you buy the truck brand new, it doesn't mean it's not going to break down, right? You have to maintain your vehicle. You have to maintain your faith. You got to give it a tune-up. You got to give it a check-up. And sometimes tragedies and struggles and problems come in your life to tune you up. Because if you can have faith in this issue, you'll have faith in a big issue. If, if, if the enemy can deceive you and make you fall on this issue, he can deceive you on bigger issues. But God is like, look, I want you to stick this out with me. I want you to be patient, and I want you to maintain your faith in me. Hebrews 11. I love this chapter. If you get a chance, read it at home because it's kind of like a hall of fame. It's kind of like a list of people who lived by faith. And I love the way the end of this chapter, the way this chapter ends. Listen to what it says. How much more did I need to say? This is the author being persuasive about listing all these people who live by faith. It would take too long to recount the stories of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth and David and Samuel and all the prophets. By faith. Somebody say by faith. This is how they did it. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. That's powerful, isn't it? By faith, they ruled with justice. They received and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire. They escaped death 
by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. They became strong in the battle and put whole armies to flight. That's the kind of power I want. To put whole armies into flight. That's the kind of power that I want to receive that nothing can stop us. And can I just say this really quick, parenthetically, that that's the kind of power I believe the Ephesus Church has in this community, that nothing can stop us, nothing can go against us. We have unstoppable, unquenchable power. Okay, did I turn it or did it turn by itself? Oh, okay, thank you. Somebody turned it for me. Women receive their loved ones back again from the death, but others... Not everybody got the good stuff. Everything didn't go well for everybody, but they still had faith. Look what the Bible says. But others were tortured. So I was like, uh-uh, no, no, I ain't in that list. Not me. Don't put me in that one. I want to be on the first list. Not by passage and stop right there. Some were tortured. Refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. I'm not going to turn from God. You can go ahead and kill me. That's what they did. They placed their hope in a better life. When? After the resurrection. Notice there. This also challenges the belief that we, when we die, we go to heaven. We talked about that in the previous episode. You can look at that. But this very clearly says they were looking for something after the resurrection. Right? Keep that in your mind. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went with, about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed, mistreated their whole lives. Look at this. They were too good for this world. You're trying to figure out, why am I treated this way? Why am I going through this? God is trying to say, guess what? You're too good for this world. You, you, you're wearing this as a badge of honor. You are honoring me by standing for me every single step of the way, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Listen to this, though. Yet none of them received all that God promised. This is the Hall of Fame, right? This is the top ten list. And the Bible says that none of them received all that God had promised. He promised some things, but they didn't get everything. Why didn't they get everything? For God has something better in mind for us. Oh, I wish I could preach that for the rest of the time, but I can't. So that they would not reach perfection without us. God says, I got something real good for them. I got something real good for those who live this life for me. I've got something for them. But guess what? I'm not going to give it to them until I give it to the others. Those who are still living those who are still standing, those who are still serving me up into the time when I come. We're going to get it all together. One big banquet, one big family reunion. We're not going to do this by ourselves. Let me take you to first, second Peter. You guys doing okay? We're almost done. 
Second Peter. This is my second letter. This is Peter writing to the church. Uh, let me go here. I want to, you to remember what the holy prophet said long ago. What our Lord Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you of something. This is Peter talking to the church. I want to remind you of this. I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come. You might say to me, how do I know it's the last days? Well, I wish I had time to show you a timeline. But when you look at what prophecy is unfolded, when you look at the history of the world, look at the history, the biblical history that we understand, there's nothing left to be done except for the second coming of Jesus. He's already come. He's already died on the cross. He's already left. All we're waiting for is the second coming of Jesus. We're in the last days. We're in the fourth quarter. He says this is what's going to happen. They're going to come in the last days. Scoffers are trolls, right? That's the modern version of trolls, right? People, that, isn't that the word? People troll people on, on Facebook and social media. Scoffers, haters, right? Trollers will come. Mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to that promise of Jesus? What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? What happened to that? Right? Questioning the second coming of Jesus. From before the times of our ancestors, everything remained the same since the world had first created. See, what they're doing is mocking God. Saying, Jesus ain't coming. You guys still believe that? Y'all stuck on that? Like, everything's pretty much the same? Like, I don't see any evidence of that. What's the Bible say? They deliberately forgot. They what? Deliberately forgot. That God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the same water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. Basically, he said, y'all must have forgot. The last time they was acting like that, that God brought the flood. And by the same word, the present heavens will have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. In other words, the judgment for the ungodly, the judgment for those who do not believe in God. And we read this in the last episode that God doesn't intend on anyone to perish, right? He doesn't want anyone to perish, but those who just refuse to serve God... That judgment is coming. It does not happen when they die, but he's reserved that judgment. So we will be celebrated, we will be redeemed together, and they will be judged together. Does that make sense? But you must not forget this one thing. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Think about that. God has lived, he's always been. He has no timeline. For us, we're humans, we have a birthday. We die, right? One year, two years. Even when you're, when you're 50 and 60, 10 years is a whole different than when you're 10 years old, right? Like when you're 10 years old, you're like, I'm 10 and a half. Like time is just slow for you. But when, you, when you're you know, 60, 50, man, five years is, is a blink of an eye. So think about God who's eternal. Like a thousand years, not even like a half a day. So he's not slack. He's not slow. It's just, you know, his timing is different than ours. The Lord isn't really being slow. So the Bible says about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient. See, I love the way the Bible preaches for itself. He is being patient. What bothers me a lot is that those who 
uh, profess to be in this church, to profess to be Seventh-day Adventists, I don't like impatient Adventists who say, I just wish Jesus would hurry up and come. For what? So you can go to heaven? What about all those who are perishing? What about all those who don't know the gospel? I don't know about you, but this church is on a mission to let people know that God is being patient for your sake. God is waiting as long as he can. And as long as it takes, if I have to die by the sword, I'm willing to do it. Because God is being patient. And when I see a tragedy, when I see a death, I don't think to myself, oh, well, I guess God is coming back. Who cares? No, I see an opportunity for us to show compassion. I see an opportunity for us to throw the lifeline out. I see an opportunity for us to minister to those who need to hear the truth. He does not want anybody to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent, to turn around. But the day of the Lord, the Bible says, will come as unexpected as a thief. Nobody plans for the thief to show up, right? Nobody's like, well, I guess it's a good time for me to have a thief come steal all my stuff. Let me schedule that. Okay, let's set that for two weeks. Two weeks from now, we're going to go on vacation. Yeah, let's set, the, let's set the thief to come for there. Make sure we have the insurance forms filled out because I really need a new laptop. Can you put the laptop out so we can take that? I need a new one. And uh, make sure, let's take all the other stuff with us. I don't want him to destroy that. So, okay, go ahead and set that thief. Siri, set an appointment for the thief. He's really doing it, too, to come. I better not put that in my phone. <laughs> Nobody plans for a thief. And that's the, that's the way it's going to happen. It's not that God is sneaking up, right? Because those who are waiting for God, we're planning on it. We're looking forward to it. But those who are not, it's going to sneak like that. From the heavens will pass away with terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in the fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found and deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly life should you live? In other words, don't let a Tesla keep you out of the kingdom. Don't let a six-pack of Budweiser keep you out of the kingdom. Don't let a house in West Richland, don't let your degree, don't let your 401k, these things that will be destroyed keep you out of the kingdom, keep you from living a godly life. Looking forward to that day of God when it, and it hurry, sorry, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to a new heaven and new earth. He is promised and a world filled with righteousness. I want to close with this. I'm going to need uh, some volunteers. I just need four people. I need four people to illustrate this. If you're brave, come on up. I need four people. Can I just get four people? Come on, don't be ashamed. Don't step on up. Moms are starting to encourage their children. Go on up. Come on, come on. I need four people. I need some big people. I'm sorry. I could use little kids, but I need big people. I need some big people. I'm sorry. Let me use some big people. Okay, I got one. I need three more. Is this really going to happen? Okay, there's one more. No guys. Nobody stepping up. One, two, three. I need some bigger people. I need one more big person. I need a bigger person than Justin. Bigger person than my. There we go. There's a big brother right here. Okay, you four, come on stage. Okay, thank you. I'm going to use him, Justin. Thank you. Everybody say happy birthday to Justin, by the way. Happy birthday, nephew. Okay. 
Come on up. Let's illustrate this. Okay. I want to illustrate four groups of people. Come on up, Genesis, right here. Okay, come on up, right here. Stand right here. Right here. Stand right there. One, two, three. Okay. Stand right here. Come on up. Come on up. I want to illustrate four groups of people. Okay? Four groups of people. I'm going to illustrate this, and I'm going to close with this. All right. Let's start with the first group we talked about. We'll use you. Who are, excuse me, those who are righteous and live for God, but they're dead. Let's start with you. Okay? It's kind of a big. Okay, so this is the righteous dead, and we'll use this brother right here as the righteous living. Thank you. So he's going to tie that. They're going to work together. Now, you two ladies, unfortunately, are unrighteous, okay? This is just an example. It's not true. Uh-oh. I got a, I've got a mistake here. This is supposed to be, okay, we'll give you the unrighteous living. Tell that for her. And I got a mistake. I'm sorry. This should say the unrighteous dead. But I'm missing one. There might be one in the, you know, can you look in the office and see if it's still in there? It's probably just going to be a small one. Okay, she's going to bring the right one. But you can just hold this up for now. Okay, so we're going to pretend this says unrighteous dead. I think there's one back there. We'll see. If it's not, just pretend, okay? So there's four groups of people. Okay? So let's put all the dead people in one group. So you come over here with him, and you come over here with her. Okay. Okay, so we're going to pretend this is what? Let's just call these groups out. Who is this? Unrighteous. Can't hear you. Can't hear you still. Unrighteous dead. This is the what? Okay. And this is the unrighteous. And this is the? Okay. Now, everybody in this room is in what group? What side? Okay, <laughs> I like that, right? Just living. We on this side, okay? So nobody's in here is dead, right? Everybody is alive. So we're, we're in one of these two groups. There's another group, and they are dead, right? So they are either righteous dead, or they are righteous, unrighteous, excuse me. They're either, what is going on? Oh, I messed up. I forgot the un, didn't I? Okay, maybe she's going to bring me a market, marker. Okay, yeah. See, I thought of this at the last minute, so I didn't execute it the way I should have. That's okay. You get the point. So this is unrighteous. No, righteous because it's blue, right? Righteous living. No, right? Somebody come preach this for me. Where's the guy? Okay. <laughs> Oh, you got it? Okay. Okay, righteous, unrighteous, righteous, righteous, righteous dead, right? Okay, okay. And we have the un big red sticker here, unrighteous dead. So those who are dead are still what? Right. Those who, those who are dead are dead. There's nobody, there's nobody floating around somewhere, right? There's, there, there's, no, there's nobody in hell 
Because what we just read, I know we read it quickly, but the righteous are going to be celebrated together, right? And the unrighteous are going to be judged together. So here's what the text says. Stay right where you are. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to who? The believers, which is who? Right? Righteous, right? Those are the believers who have died. So who are we talking about? The righteous who have died. The believers who have died. Who is that? Right here. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. That's why we grieve differently. That's why tragedy is different for us because we have hope, especially for those who we know are righteous. Can I say it this way? That's why we work so hard while people are living to bring them into the group of the righteous. That's why it's not just about us. But we have hope, okay, right? So, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised again, raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus does what? When he returns, he will bring back with him the believers who have died. Now, I know that's confusing. I don't have time to explain that. But it's just saying that he's bringing the authority to bring those who have died with died back to life. We tell you this directly from heaven. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who die. So we who are living believers, who is that? Righteous living. Okay, this is what's going to happen at the second coming. For the Lord himself will come down out of heaven with a commanding shout, right? With the voice of triumph, sorry, words of archangel, with the trumpet call. And first, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. So when Jesus returns, the believers, go ahead, step up. Who? They'll be brought back to life. That's the resurrection, right? Together with them who are still alive, right? And remain on the earth, will be caught up to, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with the Lord forever. So when Jesus comes, those who are righteous and were dead will be brought back to life, and they will meet together. Go ahead, put your arms around her. And they will meet Jesus, and they will continue to walk, right? Okay, stay right there. Now, what happens to those who are unrighteous and dead? They stay asleep, right? Because Jesus brings victory together and he brings judgment together for the unrighteous. So those who are unrighteous, when Jesus comes and we're dead, they stay asleep, right? Those who were unrighteous, right, unrighteous and living, the Bible says, are destroyed by the brightness of his coming. So they now join this group. Okay? Are you still with me? I'm trying to finish this up. So let me go here quickly. So Jesus comes again. The only people in the earth. So you guys can keep walking. All right. Let's actually walk on this side. So let's just actually just walk over here so we can see them. They're in there. Jesus has come. He has taken his children. Now there's only righteous living. Now there's only 
righteous dead. Okay? What happens then? Bible says, then I saw an angel come down from heaven with the key of the bottomless pit and heavy, and heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon. Who's the dragon? He seized the dragon, Satan, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. For a thousand prophetic years. We don't know how. If it's a literal thousand, maybe it is. We don't know. But there's a time period where the enemy of God will be chained to this earth. He will not be able to come. He will not be able to deceive anyway. Look what the Bible says. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore. And then till the thousand years were finished, after he must be released for a short time. So the, so the devil is on solitary confinement. He's on lockdown. He's on the earth with who? Who's, on, who's he on the earth with? Who? But 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 they're dead though. Who's he's just with those who have fallen, that's it. He he's in jail. He's doing nothing. He can't leave the earth. He can't deceive anyone. The case has been settled. It's all been settled. There's no one to tempt because they're all dead. Right? There's nothing for him to do but to sit there and wait. And the righteous are in heaven. And then it's almost over. I got one more verse I want to tell you. Then I saw the thrones and the people sitting on them who had been given the authority to judge. This where it gets deep because they have already been judged by who? By Christ. They've already been judged. Their, 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 their cases have already been closed. So who are they judging? Who's left to judge? Satan and the fallen angels, right? So God says, whew, this is good. So God says, guess what? I want the righteous to handle another case for me. I've got all these fallen angels and the devil who have been tempting, who have been destroying, who have been terrorizing, who have been going against God. And guess what? I'm going to give you the authority to judge. I wish I'd get excited about that. See, that's where our payback comes. Are you following me? And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded and their testimony about Jesus for proclaiming the word of God. For they had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark or their forehead on their hands. They came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had what? So blessed are and holy are those who share in the first resurrection, for the second death holds no power, for they will be priests of God and with Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Man, I really, I wish I got I to gotta go as fast as I can. And I saw a great throne, white throne, and sitting on it, the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. So I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were open, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done 
had been recorded in the books. This is the second resurrection. The righteous are already living. They're already reigning with God. And now he resurrects those who were unrighteous and were dead. And now they get to hear their case. They get to see what happened. The sea gave up its dead and death. And the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. And, oh, let me go back. Then death and grave. I love this. Death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. What does that mean? That means that's the end of death. That means that's the end, that's the grave. Nobody else will ever die again. Death will never come back again. So God takes death and the grave and he throws it into the lake of fire because the lake of fire is the second death. Y'all still follow me? Okay. Anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Listen, I'm telling you, that is going to be a sad day. That is going to be a day that what the Bible talks about weeping and crying, that's what we'll be weeping and crying. I believe God is going to be so broken to see those who he loved, who he labored for, that he that have to go into the lake of fire and be destroyed forever because they would not heed the voice of God. But here's the good news. It's the last text. Then I saw a new heaven. Come on, let's read this part together. Let's read it together. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth and the old heaven and the old earth that disappeared and the sea was gone. I saw, I heard a sh loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. He will be with his people. God himself will be with them. You know what that's saying? That, this, that's, that means that we get to see God face to face. That means we get to go our, up to Jesus and put our arms around him and hug him. That begins we get to meet all of the disciples, all of your loved ones who died. Could you imagine seeing all the greats of the kingdom, but then seeing your great-great-grandfather who died, your great-great-great-grandmother who lived for God, all your relatives, all those who died from cancer, all those who have been shot in the streets, all those will be reunited and we'll be face to face and we can see in God. Look what the Bible says. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more pain, no more death, no sorrow, no crying. All of these things are gone forever. And the one on the throne, look, I'm making everything new. He said to me, write down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. He said also, I, it is finished. I am the Alpha. I'm the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all those who are thirsty, I will give freely springs of life. And all who are victorious will inherit these blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowards, the unbelievers, the corrupt, the murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft and idol worship and liars, their fate is the fiery burning sulfur. This is the second death. Bible says the one on the seven angels who held the bowls containing the last plague say, come, come with me. I will show you the bride and the wife of the lamb. That's the church. Four groups of people. Let's put them back in order. Jesus hasn't come yet, so let's put them back in order. Come on up front. What do we have? We have those who are dead. Some are unrighteous. Some are unrighteous who are waiting for God. We have those who are unrighteous who are living, and there are those who are righteous. 
that are living. Here's what I want to end with. I know I've taken way too much time, but here's what I want to end with. As long, listen to me, as long as you are living, as long as you are breathing, the fact that you woke up today and Jesus has not come, you have a chance to be in this group. Listen to what I'm saying. When you get up, I don't care what you did the night before, when you get up and you're alive, God says repent. God says turn from what you did. There's time. I'm waiting patiently for you. Because here's what you do not understand, is that you may be today the righteous living, or you may be today the righteous, unrighteous living, but you don't know what happens tomorrow. And you can't plan for tomorrow. And tomorrow, you could be in this group. And if you waited too long, if you said, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll give my life tomorrow, it's okay, I'll go to church next week, I'll surrender then. It might be too late because when you die, the second coming has happened for you. But as long as you're living, you got a chance. As long as you're living, you can get it right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You can take them, just put them down there. Let's do this as quick as possible. It's so hard to preach a message like this and end it this way, but I just want you to keep that on your mind. Listen, I want to pray for somebody. I'll try to make it as quick as possible. I promise I'm going to send you out of here. I just want to give somebody an opportunity who needs to make a decision. Matter of fact, some of you already made a decision. You've already made the decision. You just need to move into action. So there are some of you who have been baptized and you feel like because you're a member of the church that you're, that you're set. Can I tell you? Don't bank on that. It is not a one-time thing. It is a relationship with Jesus. Just because you have been baptized at some point does not mean you are living for God. Can I say it any other way than that? The only thing you can do is renew yourself in God. Some of you have never been baptized. Some of you have never made that decision, and you know, you know what? I need to make that decision. I need to walk in faith. Some of you have been baptized, but since you've been baptized, you have walked away from it. Think of it this way. Suppose you got married to somebody, and the day after you got married, you cheated on them every single day for 20 years. And they, were, they confronted you about, hey, you know what? I'm leaving this isn't working out. You're like, what are you talking about? I married you 20 years ago. Does that make, like, what would that mean? That means nothing, right? So if you know that you have cheated on God for years and years and years, what God is doing is he's on one knee today, and he's saying, I'm proposing to you all over again. I know what you've done. I know the mistakes you made, but I still love you. I still care about you. I still want you. I still want to be with you. So some of you need to say, all right, I'm going to do it all over again. I'm going to start fresh. I, I, back then, I was somebody that I'm not now, and I want to start that thing over. And for some of you, you're saying, hey, you know what? I'm, I don't know what you're talking about, but I just feel something, and I feel like I need to make a move, and I just want to be in that group when Jesus comes. So every head is bowed, every eye is closed. As we close this series, we want to close this 
by giving God an offering. Some of you need, to, I'm talking about not a financial offering. I'm talking about the decision that you have already made. I'm not trying to get you to make a decision. I'm not trying to persuade you to make a decision. I'm just talking to people who have already made a decision. So while your heads are bowed, very quickly, I just want you, if you're in this group, you're saying, you know what? I know that I need to give my life to Christ. I need to be baptized. I need to know what it means to be baptized. I need to start that process. You're just saying, I'm not saying I'm ready to be baptized. I just want to know what it means to be baptized. I want to give my life to God. If that's you, without being ashamed, nobody's looking at you, raise your hand. Let me just see your hand. God bless you. I see you. I see three of you. God bless you. You can put your hand down. You can put your hand down. The second group are for those who have never been baptized, who've never been a part of a church, you don't know what that is, but you've already decided, Pastor, I'm going to give my life to God. Pastor, the next time you have a baptism, I'm going to be in it. I'm gonna, I've heard the proposal, and I'm going to start brand new with God. If that's you, do not be ashamed. Raise your hand. Let me see your hand. God bless you. I see you. You've never been baptized. I see your hand. Praise God. You can put it down. Last group, last group. Some of you who have been baptized back in the day, you were 12, you were 10, you didn't know what you were doing. Some of you have been baptized, and you're serving in the church, and you're playing yourself out because you think as long as I'm baptized, as long as I'm serving, I'm good. But you're far away from God, and you have said, I need to renew that commitment. I need to make that thing fresh all over again because I want to make sure that I'm in that kingdom. That's you. You've been baptized before. You want to redo it. You want to start it fresh. Can I see your hand? If that's you, just slip up your hand. God bless you. I see you. One, two, three. God bless you. Come on, you can put your hand down. I want to see all of you who made those decisions right after, right after this service. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much. For those who have decided today that they want to be a part of your kingdom. They want to be a part of this movement. And they have said, some have indicated, I want to know what it means to be baptized. I want to know what it means to give my life to you. And others have said, God, I want to redo that thing. I want to start all over again. And others who have said, for the very first time, they want to give their life to you. Lord, we pray a prayer of celebration and thanksgiving in this extended service that the message has been clear, that hearts have been changed, and only you have made that thing work. It's not me. It's not any of us. It's been a work of the Holy Spirit on their life. And we celebrate it and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we say amen. Come on church, you know what to do. Somebody made a life-changing decision. Somebody changed their life forever. I think we ought to jump up on our feet and just praise God for the lives that have been changed in this moment. Families are being restored. People are being brought back together. That's something to celebrate. Come on church, can we celebrate what God has done. He's changed the lives of people.